Amen. Okay, as you know, we are in this series, if you want to call it and put it that way, the prophetic purpose, the prophetic plan and purpose of God. And I want to encourage you now, last week we kind of started this um, series, which is, is just going to keep rolling and morphing in between all this other stuff we do as a life of a church. But I want to encourage you to keep up. Okay, if you didn't listen to last week's message, get onto our podcast, get onto the website. If you need help with getting it, contact the office, speak to Lister and Robin. We can WhatsApp the, the, the sermon to you on a WhatsApp voice note, any way that you need to keep up to date. Because if you don't keep in tracking with us and you join us on number seven or eight, you're not going to understand what's happening. Everything is a trajectory that takes off like an aeroplane. And you need to tarry, you need to get on the runway, you need to build speed. And then as speed, you take off. That's exactly what's playing out here. And I encourage you to keep up. Keep up to date with what we are going to be saying as we go and along with this journey. So the strap line that we've got here is that the end times understood by knowing it's not when, but how. The disciples asked, well, when will these things happen? But we don't understand how they're going to take place. And it's not what. And they're asking, well, when and what, but why? These things need to happen so that we are informed and we understand when it comes to these things. And the verse that we will foundationally base it upon is, uh, now it's not working. Just click on the PowerPoint there, and then don't, just click on the page on the screen. Okay, there we go, that's fine. Okay, the end times understood by knowing it's not, it's not when but how, but not what but why as we go on this journey together. The, the base verse is Acts 20. Verse 27, where Paul he gathers and calls the elders to him out of, out of side of Ephesus, and he tells them the, all the things that he's taught them, and he says to them, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, meaning I've taught you everything from salvation to hearing God's voice to knowing all about who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, what it means to be walking justification, understanding your purpose that you have here on earth, all these things, and including end times, eschatology, the teaching of the end things, the final things that will take place. Because I've taught you everything I could about God's eternal plan and I've held nothing back. Okay, the key thing is, questions are good. Ask questions. You can WhatsApp me, you can WhatsApp the church number. Ask questions. If you're unsure about stuff and we will go on a journey clarifying. Questions provoke. Questions create discussion, which are good. Okay, disagreeing is okay. Okay, you can disagree with me. Okay, I'm okay with that, but we're not going to dislike each other. Okay, we can disagree on how we think things are going to work out and when things can play out. We're not going to dis- we can disagree, but we're not going to dislike each other. Okay, we're brothers and sisters, and this is where the church gets it wrong, because what we start doing is taking offense is not okay. It's not okay. Okay, offense is a choice. Okay, you can decide where you want to take offense or not, you decide. Okay, offense builds walls, offense about pride, offense is all about things about separating. And actually, offense a lot of the time is you've got to get over yourself because you don't know it all and it's okay to have a discussion and agree. Thank you, Sandy. That's the good yes. Amen. That's going to be the journey. That's where we're going to go on this together. Okay? All right. So, the understanding of what we're going to walk into now can be probably one of the most controversial discussions and topics that you can bring about in church circles, and some of you might not even realize that, but this, this topic of Israel, okay, is one that has caused a lot of division and strife within churches because people can't agree and they take offense. 
And then they would prefer not to actually understand as brothers and sisters and work together, but rather I'll hold to mine and you hold to yours and we're on together in unity. Where there's unity, God commands a blessing. Okay? And we're going to approach this, this journey understanding Israel and God's plan. Now my conundrum is, is it's impossible to lay this out for you in one sermon and to try and give you all the answers. All of this has to be grasped and it's, that whole line, it's more caught than taught. Okay, this is about revelation. It's a revelation of understanding and truth that it's not in your head. Oh, now I get it. Okay, no, I, in my head, I know Max Verstappen is the best racer and he just won the championship last week. By the way, just a heads up, all you Mercedes fans. Yeah, Malcolm, you're giggling there. What happened last week there, pal? Hey, yeah. Okay, in my head, I know that. But that's not a heart issue. The things of the Spirit are about the heart. And it has to drop, it has to become a truth that you live by. That from the place of your spirit, yes, I understand this truth, and that truth affects how you live, how you understand, how you think, how you approach certain things. So how we approach this thing of Israel is very un- it has to come from the place of revelation. You can read a thousand books on it and not get it. But when the penny drops, it's like, I get it. I just get it. Now the thing is, also in this room, there are many of us at different points and levels. And that doesn't matter. It's not like we're trying to get you all to 10 out of 10. Some might be at 1, some at 7. It doesn't matter. If you're at 10 and you understand this journey, your heart's going, yes, because everyone else in the room, you will help them to catch on and what this is about. Not like, oh, I know this. Oh, let me play solitaire while he's busy preaching. Yeah? I'll just, because I know this stuff already. Okay? It's, we're on a journey together. So those that have questions and those that have gone ahead on this journey and understand these things, we're in this together. Allow your voices to come forth. Take us on a journey with you. We're going and we're understanding together. But if we don't get caught up on this journey together, that's where we get left behind. And you can't stay on one. You know, it talks about, Paul often speaks about milk. You can't stay drinking milk as an adult. It won't sustain you. You have to start eating solid food. And this is the meat now we're getting into, the meat of the word. This is the depth, the understanding of things that take us further. So we are chewing on these things, so they're going deeper, so that what we are prepared more and more to go out and tell the world the good news about this king who came and established this kingdom and has this thing called the church, the ecclesia, which the world don't understand. But when you grasp it and you understand that we're in the ascendancy, your going out is done with such assurance and love and confidence. We're not trying to force people to come in. We're wooing people like he wooed you to come into the understanding of the kingdom. Okay? If we don't talk this thing of Israel and the understanding from the very beginning, your end picture looks very different if you don't have. So you all know the story. If I'm going to fly from Cape Town to New York and it's set at whatever degrees you need to go that way, if I leave Cape Town one degree off, I'm probably to the right, I'm probably going to land more in Iceland or Greenland, more like it. And I'm going to miss New York. This is what has happened with the church over the last 2,000 years. Is that our beginning point, because it was slightly off, we are now 2,000 years down and people can't see it. What do you mean? Come on, play, please man, there's no place for this. Okay, we've got to understand that if we don't get this thinking right... How you see God coming and Jesus returning a second time will be affected. Even through the book of Revelation, 
and how it all plays out there, you will have a skewed idea. Okay, so this is why we're going on this journey, and we're going to go slower than quick. I'm not going to roll through this. Okay, you got it now? Cool. Next one, we're going to let this stuff massage in. I find we always, we rush through things so quickly. It's next, next, we're on to the next thing, on to the next thing. No, like, just take time. Let's take time to smell the roses. There's something about that. Let's just take it easy. Yeah. And it's little step by step, and watch the revelation settle into your hearts as you start getting and understanding this. See, from my, my perspective with the whole thing of, of Israel, and a part of in today's understanding, I'll explain more what anti-Semitism essentially is. I had the privilege of going to Israel in January 2012. And I think it's important for me to share from my perspective and my testimony of what God did in my heart regards this nation and His people that He has called from a long time ago. I honestly went to Israel with my arms like this. If you're going to come and talk to me, you're trying to push me, I'm going to be like, just stay there, pal. Don't, don't push yourself. Don't come closer to me. And I went at arm's length. Not, not hesitant or like... <laughs> I don't need to understand this. It was a group of friends through the burn. At that time, we were linking. But I just, I remember when I was sitting in the car with, uh, with Sean Foyt, and he said, I'm taking us to Israel. Kathleen and I looked at each other, and we went, you need to go on that. I was like, I know I need to go on that. I had no idea what I was walking into. I had no idea what I was approaching. And I was, if I, and you'll see the words come up, I was ignorant, honestly, with regards to who Israel and the God's people were. But something happened in my heart. While I was there, when you're standing on the, on the, the mount where, where Jesus shared the Beatitudes, and you're standing there, and this girl recites the whole of Matthew 5, and you're just picturing Jesus stood here. He stood in, in this area, sharing those words. He, the reality of his manhood became more real. And then it meant that because Jesus was here, walking here in Jerusalem, he was here. The reality of all this was like, well, then the people like David and Elijah and Elisha and Ezekiel and Moses, Abraham, it made them more real. I know that sounds a bit frivolous, but it was like, man, these were people like me. They had bones and blood just like me. They breathed like me. Like, wow. And, and suddenly the big picture of this whole story started to just click together. And it wasn't necessarily any teaching. We had fantastic teaching there. It was just the pieces of the puzzle went click. And not that I wasn't, I was, I wasn't against them, Israel. The p big picture just started making sense. And the places we went and the things that happened, it wasn't like the teaching, the revelation of this just, yes, I get the big picture now. And I see, what, I see God's plan was long before me, long before this Gentile, actually. His purpose and plan was happening a long time before me. And we've lived in the era of the glorious church, and it's all about us. There's far more in the story than just us. And where we're at now, 2,000 years from Jesus paying that price for us. And, and there, were, there were just moments. Like, remember, we were in, we were in this one church... It was a Catholic church in, in Jerusalem, right near the, 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 the pools of um, Bethesda. And we had the time, there was like 20 of us on the group, and we just started worshipping in this church, singing that, um, I think it was that Hallelujah song. And just it echoed and reverberated. We had these moments of encounters. 
with God that I could never replace. They were just beautiful. We got all baptized on the Jordan River again. And I crossed over the rope there. And the guy on Jordan's side, who was sitting his bench, stood up as I was on the wrong side of the rope with his seriously big rifle. And he was like, oh, Sheldon, Sheldon. I was like, yeah, it's relaxed. Because I was in the Jordan. I was like, man, this is awesome. <laughs> like, who gets to swim in the Jordan, you know? But it was January, so the weather, it was freezing. So the water was probably five degrees. It was freezing. But something happened in my heart. I can't tell you, Kathleen will say this. I came home, and she went, you're different. And I, I didn't know what had happened to me. But I was different because I'd opened my heart and suddenly received and understood the bigger picture. Now, I want you to understand, you see, I, I'm not here to try and, and to force you to believe this. I had this encounter and experience with the privilege of being in that nation, and something just shifted in my heart. So when I read the Bible, when I listened to different groups and people speaking in different ways, I started understanding and understanding and believing from a perspective of just seeing the bigger picture more. And it just helped me settle, not to judge, uh, well, they don't get it or they've missed it or whatever it might be, but my heart was open. And over the last 10 years, I can honestly say that I've not, I've not purposely studied this so I can get it. I've just let the journey unravel. As I've just read stuff, I'm like, yeah, that does make sense. Or I'm in groups with different people and they're talking about things. I've learned stuff just by being around people that understand this place. And it just settles. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And I will say to you, I'm not a, I'm not a, a um, scholar when it comes to this stuff. And here I am to help you. I'm on a journey too with all this stuff. That's why it's going to help me if we go slow. Because I can't unpack this thing for you quickly and just give it all to you and how it all works out. And I... On that journey, I just saw God's love for His people was far deeper than I could ever imagine. Even though they had rejected Him, He still loved them. There's a, there's a truth in that, and we'll break this down in how we look at this. So it's really unfolded. So I want to read you a, a, an extract from a man's book. Now, you all know this man. I'll tell you who he is afterwards. And this is how he wrote in relation uh, to the Jewish people and Israel as a nation, and understand this is what he said. What then shall we Christians do with this damned, rejected race of Jews? First, their synagogues should be set on fire, and whatever does not burn up should be covered or spread over with dirt, so that no one may ever be able to see a cinder or stone of it. And this ought to be done for the honor of God and of Christianity, in order that God may see that we are Christians. Secondly, their homes should be likewise be broken down and destroyed. For they perpetuate the same things um, uh, there that they do in their synagogues. For this reason, they ought to be put under one roof or in a stable like gypsies in order that they may realize that they are not masters in our land and they boast but miserable captives. Lovely guy, lovely person. Thirdly, they should be deprived of their prayer books and Talmuds in which such idolatry, lies, cursing, and blasphemy are taught. Fourthly, their rabbis must be forbidden under threat to teach, so, uh, under threat to death to teach anymore. To sum it up, dear princes and nobles who have Jews in your domains, if this advice of mine does not suit you, then find a better one so that you and we may all be free of this in, insufferable dev, devilish burden, the Jews. Next to the devil, a Christian has no more bitter and galling foe than a Jew. Any, any guess? Any, uh, 
Yeah, you can say a few people heard. Any guesses who, who wrote that? Hitler. That was written three years before his death in 1574. That was written by Martin Luther. Now we all celebrate, that was written in his book about something about Jews and, and, and to die. He wrote a book around, and this is extracts from his book. Now we celebrate Luther because of 500 years ago, he was the man that pinned those 98 theses to the door and said, no more, Jesus is the one who is our, our, our communion to God. You don't have to go through the priest. And he set an order. And the great reformation, the Protestant reformation, came through this man's strength and ability to stand. But he, he didn't have the full picture. What he's saying there is pretty vile. Eh? The, hatred, the hatred is deep. Now you, you've got to ask the question... Even you look today's times, the hatred towards Israel and his people, the only, the only way you can explain it is that it's spiritual. The hatred is so deep. And, and so, I mean, the things that he's saying there are, are vile, vile. I don't think, I mean, even in South Africa, with our challenges that we have, it's people saying context to that through the challenge, that's unacceptable. But because it's this Jewish people, it's, it's, he's allowed to say that. And then here's the unfortunate thing that Adolf Hitler did take a lot of what Luther said as a, as a, as a driving force for what he believed and what he was after. You see, we're not just dealing with a group of people that, you know, when he wrote that, think about it, in 1570, whenever he wrote that, they didn't have a land. They didn't have a country. They were, they were wanderers. They were scattered all over the earth as God's people. And in our lifetime, 1948, saw the nation of Israel become recognized as a nation again. Just see the, see the relevance of what's playing out in our time and era that we live. Well, those 500 years ago, they had no land. They were irrelevant people. Okay. So what I'm trying to explain, what we're trying to help you here and see, as I said, many on different journeys here. This whole thing of understanding anti-Semitism is essentially, this is the narrative that the church has carried. And it's, again, it's not the whole church. Okay, there are, there are factions, there are groups. It's, it's not a one-sided, like everybody. There's many different groups. But this essentially is the heartbeat and the narrative behind anti-Semitism. It says this, the church has replaced Israel because they have rejected the Messiah. Okay, and because, so God has rejected them and given the gospel message and salvation to the Gentiles. That's the essential message of anti-Semitism linked with all the hatred, all the insignificance of who they are as a people. And, and, and that's, that's essentially how it says, because you rejected this, this Messiah and Jesus that came to you, now God has rejected you. And you are now written off. You're a nobody on the face of this earth. That's why... There's been this constant drive to take out the Jewish people and the people of Israel. Okay? So you'll get different terms that will speak around this. Another word that is commonly used is a word called supersessionism. Okay? Which is a, it's a big word. Supersessionism, which essentially means the term, it says, replacement theology. So the church has replaced Israel. So they don't have a place anymore. The church is what the glorious bride that Jesus is returning. Yes, that's correct. But it means that the people of God, the original covenants, they don't have a place. It's us now. 
Okay. Now, I know that probably already stirs. He said, now a lot of things will come into your heart. You'll be questioning. Take note of those questions. Write them down. Send them in, whatever that is. But just ponder on them because the truth will come. It will unravel for you. Okay? If this is, this, if this is the first time you've ever heard anyone speaking about this, it's going to raise a lot of questions. Okay? And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. Some more quotes from guys that have written. Here's the website of the Knox Theological Seminary. And it says the, uh, the context of this, the problem of re replacement theology. And it says the, um, the inheritance promises that God gave to Abraham. Okay, now you're going back thousands of years. They're saying this in 2002. Do not apply to any particular ethnic group, but to the church of Jesus Christ, the true Israel. So it's pushing aside. Other commentators who are frequently cited as being supersessionists, they'll say things like this. The visible Christian church, being now the new covenant Israel, those whom we call the Jews are outsiders, cut off branches, having no more connection with either promises or prophecies that any Gentile group, now those called Jews, have no prophetic destiny except a continuance of their sad and bitter state, the closed book of Israel's history will not be reopened. Okay, these are, I'm giving you the harsh context. Not everybody's in this place, but there's, there's strong theological fights to, to stand like that. So there are big moves of churches around the world that that's their standpoint and they believe that. Okay, some more harshly than others. Other terms you might hear will be things like called fulfillment theology or inclusion theology to kind of soften the harshness of this separation of that the Jewish people have no place in God's heart anymore. Okay, so what we're trying to clear up here, okay, is that the understanding that the church has not replaced Israel. Okay, I will help you, we'll define what Israel is then. Because the many are thinking, well, what is Israel then? Is it the tribes of old? Is it now the current people, the government? Who is Israel? We've got, you've got to define that first as well. Okay, and if we understand the first time that the word Israel is used in the Bible, its, it's first initial um, um, giving of the name, is it was a spiritual term. Okay, so now we understand, and you've got to go in the history now. You see, right in the beginning, when, when the fall happened in Genesis 3, and, and, and God says, and says to the serpent... And he says that you will, you know, be on your belly, but that the, what's the verse? It's in, it's, it's that your, you know, the, sorry, the seed. The seed will, of this woman will crush your hill. Okay, now the, from the very beginning, the seed is important to understand this thread that starts playing out because the seed of the woman was Jesus. Now that's thousands of years before Jesus even came to earth. The Lord never forgets and sets his order with his promises. So you go through and you get eventually to, to Abraham and the seed of Abraham. We are all Abraham's descendants now. Through his seed that was planted. Okay, and he had one child and one, well, the, the second son, Isaac. Um, Ishmael was, what, what does Ishmael mean? The glory, not the glorious departed. Ishmael means, um, no, it's, yeah, anyway. Sorry? The Lord has heard. That's right. Thank you, Pat. That's right. You see that the son, it was illegitimate son. God didn't want to go through another seed of a, of a slave woman. He wanted to go through Abraham's wife, Sarah. 
and that seed of Isaac, and then Isaac birthed Jacob, and the seed of Jacob birthed 12 sons, which became the tribes of Israel. The father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a generational God. The beauty of how that all plays out and rolls out. We've got to, we've got to see that perspective. That the heart of God, all those thousands of years ago, hasn't changed. He still thinks the same way. He still sees the same lineage. The covenants, which I'll share with you next week, are still in place. They don't break. A covenant is a promise that's unbreakable. And it's God of all people, of all creation. He's the one that will not break the promise. And we hold on to that truth. So the seed is important of what's played and what's set out. So when, when, um, when we say, you see, that there were, it was first an, a spiritual term given. So that Jacob's name, his name was Jacob. The name Jacob meant twisted, crooked, and grabber. Grab the heel of his son, his brother Esau, that went out before him. And there were twins lying in the womb. There are two nations lying in the womb. Okay? And he changed his name to Israel. And the name Israel means someone who prevails with God and essentially gets his prayers answered. Okay? So now we, we can see the term given to him is a spiritual, it's first a spiritual understanding of who he is as a man, but what it will create as a people. We've got to understand that clearly because if we look at the church... And you see the church as a physical people and a body. And you take away the spiritual aspect of who we are as sons and daughters and God's people. And the kingdom, which is, you can't see the kingdom. But you take all that away, we just become a group of people. <laughs> Gathering, singing great songs. Praying for people. Doing all that. You take all the spiritual aspect away, it's pointless. It's the same with Israel. You can't start looking at this and then looking at the government and going, Yeah, but... The, the natural government is, doesn't necessarily mean that's the people of Israel that God is looking at from a spiritual term. That's, the approach of this is, 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 is crucial because you will miss it if you don't see that spiritual understanding right from the very beginning. So when Moses led out his people of captivity, in, from captivity out of Egypt where, they had, where Jacob had, had, had God had rescued through his son Joseph and rescued 70 of them, arrived in Egypt... Because of the famine that was playing out, hundreds and hundreds of years later, there were millions of people. And God had a plan that this small little group, through Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, and his seed of his 12 sons, became a nation. And when you, when you, when you read in the, word, in, the, in the Bible, the word nation is used, it's ethnos, meaning ethnic group. They were an ethnic group of people. Now you see all this nonsense going around with what's all playing out when Jesus says nation will rise against nation. He's not saying Zimbabwe versus South Africa. He's saying ethnic group versus ethnic group. Look at all the trouble with Black Lives Matter that's created because it's trying to create ethnic versus ethnic fights. What is he saying? In the end times you will see these things arising. It's playing out. He created a nation out of 70 people that arrived. And when Moses... And through his journey, and, and they came out of captivity, what were they? They were spiritually defined, yes, as Israel, God's people, but they were a people of faith. Because they believed that God would redeem them and help them get away from captivity. So they got through the Red Sea. He provided for them, but in their unbelief, 
in their journey and disobedience, a generation had to pass that couldn't come through into the promised land. That was God's consequence, okay, to them not being obedient. And remember this, okay, we understand the grace of God and His love for us, but there are consequences to disobedience. There are consequences to us not walking in a life of faith and believing who we are spiritually as God's people. Okay. I mean, that's, yeah, it's setting the, 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 the tone here, okay? They weren't always a strong people. If you look at the moaning and the, all that thing, but they were a people of faith that God led them through the promised land, through the desert into the promised land by crossing over. I, I just, I feel the rest is, I want to actually just read you Romans 11, and then we'll leave it at that. Okay? Okay, and that's, sorry, that was the next slide. The heart of anti-Semitism is this, that narrative, okay, that the church has replaced. Okay, what I want to do, sorry, I, had, I forgot I had this all on the slides. Look at that. Wow, unbelievable. So Genesis 35, that's where God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Do you know that when they left, Israel, when they left Egypt, that was the first time they were actually called Jews? Okay, they were known as a people, but they got called the Jewish people for the first time when they were actually leaving Egypt. Okay, I want to I read to you the whole of chapter 11 of Romans. Okay, you can follow on the screens, but I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. Okay, and just to give you, as we'll wrap up with this now, and then I'll speak more into this in the weeks to come. Okay, this is a very important passage, okay, of what Paul is writing here. Now, he's writing to Romans. He's not writing to the Jewish people. He's writing to Gentiles in Rome. He had never been to the church in Rome. Okay? And he was writing to them saying, I'm hoping to come with you, essentially to come to you. Essentially, Paul was eventually martyred in Rome. That's where he lost his life and he gave his life, essentially. Okay. And he's writing to them with the grand scheme of God's plan. And he's painting this picture, all building up. He's speaking about the gospel. He's speaking about salvation. He's speaking about the love of God. He talks about justification. He's talking about the righteousness of God. He's talking about the law. He's talking about the flesh versus the spirit. And he also then speaks about the destiny of Israel. And he explains to them that they, the place that Israel has and understands. So let's read chapter 11 together and just follow in this and you'll see how the picture unfolds and unpaints because we've got to base it from Scripture. We can't just talk about our own feelings and understanding. So I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. We'll go through it slowly together. Romans 11. So then I asked you this question. Did God really push aside and reject His people? Now he's writing about Israel to the Romans. Absolutely not. For I myself am a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, there's the seed again, from the tribe of Benjamin, there's the sons of Jacob being one of the tribes. God has not rejected his chosen, destined people. Haven't you heard Elijah's testimony in the scriptures? And now he prays to God, agonizing over Israel. Lord, they've murdered your prophets. They've demolished your altars. Now I'm the only one left and they want to kill me. But what was the revelation God spoke to him in response? You are not alone, for I have preserved a remnant for myself. 7,000 others who are faithful and have refused to worship Baal. And that is but one example of what God is doing in this age of fulfillment. For God's grace empowers His chosen remnant 
And since it is by God's grace, it can't be a matter of their good works. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift of grace, but earned by human effort. So then Israel failed to achieve what it had strived for, but the divinely chosen remnant receives it by grace, while the rest were hardened and unable to receive the truth. Just as it is written, God granted them a spirit of deep slumber. He closed their eyes. Remember, he's talking about Israel now. He closed their eyes to the truth and prevented their ears from hearing up to this very day. He's talking about they, they, Jesus was right in front of them and they couldn't hear. They couldn't see. They were, there was a closing of the eyes. There was a slumber upon them to hear this truth up to this very day. Now, this was written in about 50 AD when Paul's writing Romans. And King David also prophesied this. May their table prove to be a snare and a trap to cause their ruin. Bring them to retribution they deserve. Blindfold their eyes and don't let them see. Let them be stooped over continually. This is all the disobedience, all the journeys of Israel. So I'm saying that Israel stumbled so badly that they will never get back up. Am I saying that he's saying? Am I really saying that? Certainly not. Rather, it was because of their stumble that salvation now extends to all the non-Jewish people. That's us, the Gentiles. In order to make Israel jealous and desire the very things that God has freely given to them. So if all the world is being greatly enriched through their failure and through their fall, great spiritual wealth is given to the non-Jewish people, imagine how much more will Israel's awakening bring to us all. Come on, let it settle in. See how the, the word Paul is, 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 is imploring with them. Hear me. We can't shut, shut them. I'm one of them. I'm a Jew, he's saying. I'm a Jew. Now I speak to you who are not Jewish, since I am an apostle to reach the non-Jewish people. Paul, they say, was, was called to the Gentiles to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I draw attention to this ministry as much as I can when I'm among the Jews, hoping to make them jealous of what God has given to those who are not Jews, winning some of my people to salvation. For if their temporary rejection released the reconciling power of the grace into the world, what will happen when Israel is reinstated and reconciled to God? And it will unleash resurrection power throughout the whole earth. Now remember, you can't look at this going, Israel, this, the, we'll talk into the land and the significance of the land, but think the spiritual people of Israel, who God called and predestined from years, years back before, and has invited us now into that story that's been going for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. We and I have become a part of that. And just think when we've... Okay, well, I'll keep reading. Since Abraham and the patriarchs are, are, are consecrated and set apart for God, so also will be their descendants be set apart. Yep. Here's the key part now. If the roots of a tree are holy and set apart for God, so too will be the branches. If the trunk and the branches... They're all holy together. However, some of the branches have been pruned away. They had to take off, had to cut off. And you who were once nothing, 
more than a wild olive branch, God has grafted in. Remember, he's writing to the Gentiles. You were outside of the commonwealth, it says, of God. Now you have been grafted in, inserting you among the remaining branches as a joint partner to share in the wonderful riches of the uh, cultivative olive stem. Okay, we all know this verse, but when you, when you backtrack and you just see the long story and long history, and yet now we have been given the privilege to be grafted into the story that's already being run. You're not the story. You're just part of the story. You're adding to the story. Okay? And so don't be arrogant as to believe that you are superior to the natural branches. This is what I'm speaking about. You see, there's either an ignorance. Oh, well, who cares? I don't know. I don't understand about that stuff. Or the other side of the ignorance is an arrogance. Israel has no place. They're done. The church has fulfilled everything now, and it's in that position. And they're right, and they, they're cut off, essentially. Okay? There's the arrogance. So there's no reason to boast for the new branches. Listen, that's us now. The new branches don't support the root. He's saying basically they don't need you. Okay. We don't, this is the grace of God to you. We don't need you, but the grace is that you have been grafted in. But you owe your life to the root that supports you. You might begin to think that some branches were pruned or broken off just to make room for you. Yeah, yeah, that's true, he says. They were removed because of the unbelief. Not to make room for you. It was the unbelief that removed them. But remember this. Remember this, you are only attached by faith. So don't be presumptuous. Stand in awe and in reverence. Because if those unbelieving branches would be cut off, who means that you won't be cut off? That's what he's saying there. That we keep our faith alive. We keep our, our belief in the one true God that we've been grafted into the story. Since God didn't spare the natural branches that fell into unbelief, didn't spare them, Perhaps he won't spare you either, he's saying. So fix your gaze on the simultaneous kindness and strict justice of God. How severely he treated those who fell into unbelief. Yet how tender and kind is his relationship with you. So keep on trusting in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. God is more than ready to graft back in the natural branches, those ones that are already off. He's more than ready to graft them back in when they return from clinging to the unbelief to embracing faith. For if God grafted you in, even though you were taken from what is by nature a, uh, a, nature a wild olive tree, how much more can He reconnect the natural branches by inserting them back into their own cultivated olive tree? So what he's saying, the natural branches would think they would just slot easier in. You're a wild olive branch and you slot it in and it's working. Imagine how when the natural branches, they slot back in and all Israel is saved. That's the, that's the sign of things to take place. When God starts working in that people and they start acknowledging and start seeing the power of God. How much more? Wow. My beloved brothers and sisters, I want to share with you a mystery concerning Israel's future. For understanding this mystery will keep you from thinking you already know everything. A partial... This is the key part. A partial and temporary hardening to the gospel has come over Israel, which will last 
until the full number of non-Jews has come into God's family. This is, this is called the, the time of the Gentiles. So when the time of the Gentiles has come to a point, it will now be time for that branch that has been cut off to be regrafted in. And that's where the scriptures speak about where all Israel will be saved. Where a revival will essentially start pl- taking place spiritually in the hearts of God's original birth plan with His people. They will start acknowledging and realizing we've fallen short. A revival starts taking place. I think Israel, Israel as a nation, I think has a population of, but I'm not sure exactly, I haven't looked, I think it's been two and three million. It's not a lot of people that live in Israel. It's not a big place at all. You can drive to one end quite easily and across Israel quite easily. I'm also a stand under correction. You can't quote me on this, but as I understand it, there are only something like 50,000 believing Jews. In Israel. It's not millions. Eight million total that live in Israel. In 2022. Okay, so eight million. I got that totally wrong. Okay, eight million people. But the fraction, the, the percentage of Christians who actually honor Jesus as, as say, from a Jewish, a Messianic Jew, saved and acknowledged Jesus, is well over 100,000 people. It's a very small part. So what is the cry in Israel? That God moves. Stirs the hearts of His people who go through all these festivals and celebrations that He set in place ages ago. Jesus fulfilled the Passover. Jesus fulfilled Pentecost by sending His Holy Spirit. And now we've celebrated, they've celebrated New Year and that time, Jesus will fulfill that festival and that feast that takes place. But there's been a hardening of their hearts. There's been a blindfolding. The time of the Gentiles will come to an end. And then God will move. And that's, these are the signs that we're asking. When we start seeing these things happen, you see there's, there's a term, if I get it wrong, I might get it. It's called Aliyah, something like that. Where, Aliyah, where it's the return of Jewish people to the land of Israel. There's this drive of people to come back to their motherland. You know, you had Hitler, there were 9 million Jews in Europe around the Second World War. 6 million people were killed. Okay, and they were scattered all over the earth. Think about in World War II, they didn't have a nation. They weren't a people. They were scattered all over the place, spiritually and geographically. Now, geographically, they've been landed as a nation. And there's a a heartbeat of people to come back, come back to the land. And as they are arriving back in the nation, there are so many ministries that I connect and talk with on these different calls that I'm on that are, I mean, for some, they reach out just to Holocaust survivors. And there's not many Holocaust survivors left. And when you're talking to a lady in her 90s who they, they are sharing the gospel of Jesus to her, and she's saying, well, how could a God who loved me allow that to take place? The, the depth of pain and hurt is very real. And when you hear these people's stories, you, you can't bash them into the kingdom. You've got to, it's by love, wooing. These are real people with real stories, with a God who chose a people and set a plan in place. Okay? So they say, a partial and temporary hardening to the gospel has come over Israel, which will last until the full number of non-Jews, us the Gentiles, has come into God's family. And then God will bring all of Israel to salvation. 
the prophecy will be fulfilled that says, coming from Zion will be the Savior, and He will turn Jacob away from evil, Israel, from evil. For this is my covenant promise with them when I forgive their sins. Now many of the Jews are opposed to the gospel, but the opposition has opened the door of the gospel to you who are not Jewish. Yet they are still greatly loved by God because their ancestors were divinely chosen to be His. They're not written off. God hasn't forgotten about His people. And when God chooses someone and graciously imparts gifts to Him, they are never rescinded. That verse says there that the gifts are irrevocable. Is that the gifts are without repentance. Meaning that I can be living in sin and still operate and lead a church and you think things are going fine because my gift still operates. That's the scary part. And there's been many that I've seen over the years that have done that. And eventually, there's the Bible says, your sins will catch you out. They will find you out. You will not run forever because He's a God of purity and love. That's what He's saying there. They are never rescinded. And you who are not Jews who were once rebels against God. But now, because of their disobedience, you have experienced God's tender mercies. And now, they are the rebels because of God's tender mercies to you. It just changed stories, but they're not forgotten. You can open the door to them to share in and enjoy what God has given us. In conversations I've had with guys just talking, there's a group of us just talk online every now and again. We just talk about this journey. If we fully grasp and understand the heart of God for His people and how we've been grafted in, is if we, had a, we as a group had to reach out to the synagogue in Musenberg. Would you understand why we are doing that? So think about that. If we're reaching out to those who, who have got the foundation of all this truth, but they just haven't received Messiah, would we be able to share the gospel with them in a way of, oh, well, just turn to Jesus and your life will change? That's not going to work, eh? Because the story goes further back. It's not just about salvation. It's about His plan and His purpose. From the very beginning, set in place, they've, they've just chosen not to accept Messiah. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come. But as we understand our poor writes, there's been a hardening on their hearts. And our time will come. And I've had it in my heart for many years. I even asked, um, what's her name? Margaret Liebing, who is a Jewish lady who comes to the Bay. She's just, I think, transitioning now. She's moving to Evergreen. She's going to come stay with you guys there. And I asked her years ago, I said, who's the, who's the rabbi at your synagogue there? And they don't have a rabbi because there's not enough Jewish people that live in Musenberg. So they don't have a rabbi. I wanted to meet with the guy and just let's talk. But I realized... You've got to know your story, eh? yeah? You can't just arrive there going, yay, Jesus, it's all good and it's new covenant stuff and you just live on that and you've got no depth of a full picture of the story. He'll giggle at you. He's like, yeah, oh, well, there's more to this. It's, you see how Paul's, this is Paul's heart. He's talking to those Gentiles, but the heart for God's chosen people. Okay? Actually, God considers all of humanity to be prisoners of the unbelief. So that He can unlock our hearts and show His tender mercies to all who come to Him. Who could ever wrap their minds around the riches of God? 
the depth of His wisdom and the marvel of His perfect knowledge. Who could ever explain the wonder of His decisions or search out the mysterious way He carries out His plans? For who has discovered how the Lord thinks or is wise enough to be the one to advise Him on His plans? Yo, that puts it into perspective, eh? We think we know a lot, but He's God. He knows what's playing out. He's allowing things to play out. Or, he's quoting, uh, citing different passages. Who's ever first given something to God that uh, obligates God to owe him something in return? <laughs> For out of him, the sustainer of everything, came everything. And now everything finds fulfillment in him. Now may all praise and honor be given to him forever. Amen. Amen. And what's the very next verse that Paul says, Romans 12? Do not be conformed to the pattern of the bull. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to change the way you think about stuff. If you're going to fool. You know, he knew what he was writing when he wrote that. See, the Bible's not broken down into chapters and verses. We, that was put in place so that we can easily follow. It was a letter. A letter written for all to see and follow. Okay? That verse, go home and read that, that chapter. Just let it, let it settle in. If, we are going to, if we're going to learn as a starting point one thing here is that the plan and the picture and the purpose of God is far bigger than we could ever in our own minds understand. Hear me carefully now. You do not understand the depths of the love of God if you reject a people and say, well, God can't love them. His love goes beyond our carnal, finite minds on how we would picture stuff. Well, they're wronged. If someone wrongs you, oh, I hate that person. I don't love them and you swap them off. We, we all have moments and opportunities like that in our lives. That's not God. Who we, who, God like He owes us something like we can show Him how, to, how He needs to do stuff. His love is far beyond. And I'll talk into this next week about the love of God and the covenants that He's already set in place that will never be broken. And they, He's a covenant-keeping God. That's His foundation of stuff. When He says something, He keeps His promise. He doesn't bypass it and go, yeah, actually, you know, Yokes might be right. Eh? Let's go with that rather. He doesn't waver. Yeah. Yeah. Wavering. Shifting shadows. That's right. So questions could come up in your hearts. Okay? Now go away. Now I'm, I'm saying you must apply yourself to this. You can't leave here and then come back next week and just hope to pick up from there. Go and, go and read Romans 11. Go and read it in different versions. The NIV, the ESV, different versions. And, and, and as you read the Word of God, the Word of God speaks to you. That's where the revelation will settle into your heart. Because questions will come up, and I've seen pastors saying, yeah, but, but no, man, come on, man. It's like, it just says the, that Jesus is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They can't come to the Father through anyone else. Yes, that's true. It's still Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. But the covenants that were set in place aren't abandoned. So questions will come up. Well, does Israel remain a nation of, a, of believers generation after generation? No, they don't. Because there's unbelief. But there's the spiritual Israel. Think, just remember that. The people that God has called and set apart spiritually that walk under that canopy of faith and belief. The opportunity of salvation is at their hands. And when we see revival taking place in Israel, be assured me, we are in those times. Okay. Okay. Another question. They were a nation of believers, but does God stay with them and save them automatically forever? No. 
No, he set a new covenant in place that we follow through and we walk through. Okay, so I'll ask you, go and, go, and, go and embrace. Go and embrace Romans 11. Go and read that passage, let it settle into your heart, and then I'll, I'll talk more into the love of God and covenants and the things we as the church approach often with this topic. Now, again, I'm saying we're not going to cover this in one sermon. We've just scratched the surface here. It's just the opening door. Some of you might never have heard that term replacement theology or anti-Semitism. What's this big problem? The challenge is our, our government is anti-Semitic. That even from the, the, there's the all nations thing in Africa, they were voting that Israel could not be an observer nation. There's a hatred towards this people group because they're looking at it geographically and the people and the land and all that context, but we see it from a very different perspective of God and what He said in place thousands of years ago that we have now been grafted into this story that's already taking place. And our time will come to an end. And God will raise a revival in the nation of Israel. And many will be turned. And then we can be thankful for this times and season. Let's stand together. Yeah, as I said to you, as I started, yeah, this is a controversial topic. But we are not going to walk in a fence. We're going to ask questions, and we're going to journey, and we're going to understand this together. So, Father, we just acknowledge your plan and purpose from the very beginning. We know that you're a good God. We know that you're a faithful God. We thank you that we read through the Old Testament, and we see the stories of all the ups and downs of your people it's a, it's a picture to us of our own lives. Up and down, up and down, but you never, ever give up on us. You never give up on your people. You always believe, you always trust that we would walk in the fullness of what you have given us. So Father, I pray that over our hearts now, as we've just opened this conversation, guard our hearts. Guard our hearts as we walk on this journey. Help the revelation of this just settle deeper into our hearts as we understand fully your purpose and plan so that we can start recognizing the signs. We can start understanding the times that we live in. Because, Lord, nothing misses you. Nothing misses you. So of every heart, Father, we just pray your blessing, your power, and your strength upon our lives because you go with us wherever we go. All God of Israel is with us, walking in our everyday lives because of what Jesus has done now. You walk in that fullness. You walk in that anointing. As Jesus goes, you can go. And as we declared here today, you go in anointing and you go in power. As you go to your school tomorrow, you go to college, you go to your workplaces, you carry the goodness of God. You carry life in your heart. You carry this story of thousands and thousands of years walking in the fullness of what Christ has given us. We honor you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, 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 amen.